Airplane mode is that setting on your phone that temporarily suspends all signals coming out of your phone and Wi-Fi. Short it so you can't talk, text, or um, uh, surf the net on your phone while you're in flight. Now, what the purpose of airplane mode is, is to keep those signals that come out of your cell phone from interfering with sensitive airline equipment. That sounds like a pretty good reason to put it on airplane mode. I did a little research and found that 22% of people are like probably Randy, who never put their, their phone on airplane mode. And I'll admit sometimes I've not thought to do that because I was text, texting right up until time of takeoff. So we know that 22% of people not putting on airplane mode probably doesn't hurt, harm the plane. I really don't want to find out what happens if nobody goes to airplane mode. So anyway, uh, that's airplane mode. It's, um, it's debatable, like I said, how much it actually does. But here's what I like about airplane mode, especially other people's airplane mode. It's the one place in life where I can sit down, it's quiet, and I can either like read a book or take a nap while I'm in flight for an hour or a couple of hours or for a long flight. It's kind of a nice thing, and I don't have to listen to the loud talker three rows behind me have a one, one-sided conversation. And I, I don't know, I'm a loud talker. But anyway, here's what I like about airplane mode for me, for me. What it does for me personally is assuming that I don't play a game for three hours nonstop or watch a movie I've downloaded before the flight, it gives me that chance to disconnect, to connect. It helps me to connect with a book maybe I've been meaning to read but just haven't gotten around to. It helps me connect with the person I'm sitting next to if I'm flying with someone. Sometimes it just helps me to stop and connect with God through prayer or catching up on my Bible reading plan. And that's what this, this month's mini-series, Airplane Mode, is about. It's about disconnecting to connect, making space for God through this wonderful gift he called prayer. My challenge is for you to select that setting in your heart or in your mind. Select that, that airplane mode setting and disconnect so that you connect. Disconnect from God. Uh, dis- excuse me, disconnect from your phone and from all the other things of life at least one day a week, at least one time every day. Man, I'm, I'm struggling with this one, this phrase. Let's, let's start over. Disconnect to connect. Disconnect from life at least once a day to connect with God through this wonderful gift we have called prayer. As a matter of fact, I know Randy was messing with you when he said put your phone in airplane mode, and I just was watching over here off to the side to see how many people did it. People got their phone, but then it was like, no, I'm not doing that. You can't make me do that, and we can't. We don't need to. I would say, though, as Randy said at the end of his welcome, if you really struggle during a time of service like this, to, uh, to not just be constantly checking your messages, your texts, your DMs. It might not be a bad idea to disconnect from your phone to connect. I know we talked about using the BPF app and it's very helpful and it's gonna have the notes, you can follow along. You can use that, that's fine. But if you're gonna struggle the whole time, you might wanna put your phone on airplane mode. You can see the words on the screen here or you can go old school and use the Bible like this and follow along. Matter of fact, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can pick one up at the Welcome Center on the way out. So consider that if that's a struggle for you, because it is for some. Give it a shot.
Let me show you why it's so important to make this space. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 11, verse 12. Luke is in the New Testament of the Bible, so that means if you have a a physical Bible, it's three-fourths of the way through. It's one of four Gospels. Gospel means good news. One of four biographies of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we have in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the third one. One of Jesus' disciples, here's the setting, okay? One of Jesus' disciples noticed that Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. Notice how intentional he was. And he realized this is a good thing. And so he asked Jesus, he said, hey, Jesus, show us how to do that. Show us how to pray like you pray. And Jesus gave a response to that. And that's what we're going to read about today is Jesus' response. But in Jesus' response, he gave them a model prayer or a template, so to speak. And that's a prayer that you could pray this prayer. You could memorize it, and many have. That really wasn't, it's not a bad thing, but that's not the point. The point was to show you the elements of prayer. And so that prayer that Jesus gave them that day, it's the same prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer that we see in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was preaching his famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not sure which came first, that sermon where he taught a huge crowd or when he was teaching his disciples. But this is a little bit abbreviated, not much, but a little bit abbreviated from the one in Matthew that you may be used to, that you might have memorized at one point. But it has all the same elements. Luke chapter 11, verse 2. So one of his disciples said, teach us how to pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. It was a simple template. Let me break it down if you didn't notice the kind of the outline form. I think of things in outline form. So this is what Jesus is saying. When you pray, address God as Father and recognize how awesome, how hallowed, how holy he is. And then the first thing you ask for is for his kingdom to show up. It's like saying, God, I want what you want to happen. I want your agenda to take place here. Next, ask God for what you need. Even something as simple as daily bread, and for a lot of the people in Jesus' audience, they, they, every day they had to think, what am I going to eat today? And they didn't have refrigerators, so they had to go and get food every day. He said, pray about that. For, for us today, it might be, hey, pray for that class that you really need to get this spring semester so that you can graduate on time. Pray for that parking place that you need so you won't be late or up close so you don't get wet. It's okay. Pray for basic things. Ask him to forgive your sins. And I like that kind of suggested idea in there. Remembering you need to forgive others, okay? And then also ask for help not to sin again. God, you know what tempts me. Lead me away from that stuff. Now, here's what's really, really interesting I find about this conversation Jesus had with his disciples. This is how it started, but this is not how it ended. He went on. What's really interesting to me is the story that he told after giving them this model prayer, this template on how to pray. Now, stay with me. Let me explain where I'm going here. There's a principle of Bible reading and Bible study that we've talked about often. It's about context. Know the context of what you're reading. So it's simply this. Understand the text, the verse verse or verses. Understand the text by paying attention to the context. What is context? It's what comes right before or right after. Also in context is, is where did this take place and who's this? This took place in first century Israel with people that lived during that time, Jewish people. So let's do that. Let's check the context. Let's, let's understand the text by checking 
the context. What happened right before Jesus gave this template? Okay, look back to verse 1, Luke 11, 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. I thought it's interesting they didn't just say one day Jesus was praying. He was praying in a certain place. And what that lets us know is Jesus was intentional about praying. He chose a time and a place, a certain place that he probably chose where he wouldn't be distracted. And we see him modeling this example for us. He selected the setting and he disconnected from everyone else to connect with God. But what's even more important in this parable, what's even more important in this story is the parable that Jesus told after giving this model. Some of you know what a parable is. If you're new to the faith, you might not. A parable is just a short story that Jesus would create to teach a lesson. Because we can understand stories better than we can understand just abstract principles. So this parable emphasized one particular part of the prayer over all the others. Now remember, we're talking context. What happened before? Jesus was praying in a certain place. What happens after this model prayer that he gave us? Well, he tells a story to explain what's most important about the, the model prayer, the, the template, okay? Now, full disclosure, I didn't pick up on the simplicity of this parable afterwards and its context the first several times I read it. Matter of fact, I was reading another book about prayer that's really good. It's a short book by a pastor in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, the pastor of the Summit Church, a guy named J.D. Greer. And so I want to share with you kind of what inspired this message today. And I want to share with you that parable. And before I tell you what that main point was, I want to see if you get it, if you can pick it out. It's so simple that it is easy to miss, but there's really one simple overriding point that Jesus was making here, okay? So look at verse five. So Jesus is praying in a certain place. Disciple says, teach us how to pray that way. Jesus gives a model on how to pray. And then Jesus follows up with a story to explain the model. Verse five, then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus said, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, what element of prayer of the template, the four or five things Jesus told us on how to pray, what element of prayer did Jesus emphasize the most in his model prayer? It wasn't the part about addressing God as Father. And you need to know that that's the best way to pray, but it's not a deal breaker if you call him Lord or Jesus or Holy Spirit or Father, it's okay. He'll, he'll listen. He'll hear you, okay? He wants to hear from you. What element did he emphasize most in his model prayer? It wasn't the part about asking for his will to be done over our own. All of that is important. And that is something that as you mature in prayer, as you pray more and more, that you will do more and more. You'll, you'll start bending in that direction as you grow in maturity. But listen. This is like teach us how to pray. This is, this is prayer 101. This is first grade prayer. This is seventh grade prayer. This is freshman prayer, okay? So where does God want us to start if we really haven't been praying all that much? How does he want us to start? It wasn't about asking for his will to be done above our own. It wasn't even the part about asking forgiveness for sins, although we know that is so important. Jesus died on a cross 
to pay for the penalty for our sins. We need to ask him to forgive our sins and receive him as Lord and Savior. But that's not the part he emphasized here in prayer. In Jesus' most basic lesson on prayer, he followed it up with a parable to emphasize one aspect over the rest. What's the first and most important thing you need to learn about prayer? Real simple. This is the point of the parable. Just ask. Just ask. If you don't learn anything else about prayer today, learn this. That's it. Just ask. Don't overthink your prayers. Just ask. What's on your mind? What's on your heart? What do you need? Just ask. Don't carefully choose your words. One th- hey, those of you who have been Christians for a long time and you're praying and you notice if you pray the same prayers and the same phrases over and over and over again. Let me just tell you, if you're praying around folks who are learning how to pray or new believers, they're going to think they have to learn these phrases. Lord, we just come to you now. Give us traveling mercies. All just, just don't overthink your words. Don't carefully choose your words. Just ask. And you don't even have to bother justifying why you need it. God, you know I need this, man. I, I'm, I'm up against the wall here. I've got to have You can say that, but you don't have to. Just ask. Look how Jesus sets up this parable. This is a really kind of over-the-top story. This kind of beyond what really you could expect the way this would, would fall out, okay, maybe. He puts you, here's how he starts this parable. He puts you, the listener, in a very embarrassing position you would never want to be in. Okay, so context. What happened before? What happened after? Now, where is this taking place? First century Israel. It's a Middle Eastern culture, okay? A friend of yours shows up in the middle of the night hungry, and you don't have anything to feed him. That would be a disgraceful thing. In Middle Eastern or Asian cultures, this would cause you to lose face or to be shamed. You don't want to do that. It may not make sense to you, but in that culture, you got to always have food in your house if a friend shows up during the day, even if he shows up at midnight, okay? So you don't have any choice if he shows up but to go and ask your nearest friend and neighbor for some food. And so he does. He goes, you go to, he, he goes to ask this friend to bail him out and give him some food. But now, so this is you. You don't have food. You're embarrassed. You got to get some food for your friend. So you wake up your neighbor and you ask for more than you need. Three loaves of bread. Not three slices of bread. Three loaves of bread. Who's going to eat three loaves of bread at midnight? Come on. Why does he ask for three? He says, lend to me three loaves. Like, what are you going to do? Chew on a little bit of it and give it back to him? Soggy? No, I don't know. But you double down. You double down and you keep asking for that. Now you've woken him up and he said, you're waking my kids up. Parents, think about this. You know how hard it is to get your kids to go back to sleep when they've been woken up in the middle of the night when they shouldn't have been? Sometimes they're like, okay, let's play. What are we going to do now? You know, it's like, I've never been more tired than when my kids wake up in the middle of the night, or grandkids now. But you double down, okay? You've woken up his kids, you've asked him for more than you need, and he's not answering. He said, hey, go away, it's midnight, my kids are asleep, they're sleeping with me. You double down and you keep asking, you keep knocking and pounding on that door. And at some point, Jesus reminds you, the friendship's done. He's not going to get up because of the friendship, but you're not done asking Jesus said your neighbor won't get up and give you bread because of your friendship, but he will because of your shameless audacity. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Let me run that by you again. Jesus used the phrase shameless audacity to describe how we should pray. Doesn't that seem a bit much? 
not to Jesus. And I can, again, picture in this context, Jesus tells them how to pray, gives them this model, and then tells a story to explain what's most important about it that you just ask. And one of his disciples probably says, okay, Jesus, I, I get it, I get it. We just, just ask, but, but three loaves of bread? What's the point of that? Three loaves? And, and man, why the phrase shameless audacity? We just ask you how to pray. And you said we need to be shamelessly audacious. What's with this? Why would Jesus make up such an over-the-top story that it probably has details in it that wouldn't happen? Why did he do that? And why did he use such a strong phrase to explain how persistent we should be in asking? Why? I think I know the answer. Because we don't ask we don't. We don't ask. So Jesus summed up the parable that emphasized his model prayer with his further instruction. So after he tells the parable, and they're looking at him like, whoa, that's over the top. He says, verse 9, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Folks, that is a promise. That is a promise from God, from Jesus himself, that he will back up. Now, one of the things that I've noticed about myself and others is we tend to hear what we want to hear. Okay. I mean, there's a whole brand of religion we call prosperity gospel. They teach you to pray for the BMW and first class seat on a plane. That's ridiculous. And as you get along, you'll understand that. But it, it, it's face value. You think, well, okay, I'll ask for the Beamer. You know, what can it hurt? Well, it probably won't hurt anything. You'll learn later on, as the book of James tells us, you know, you don't receive because you don't ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. And that's true. And, you, you know, but that's okay right now. Jesus said, hey, just ask. Just get going. Ask, ask. We'll, we'll filter all the rest of this stuff out. And you'll grow into maturity as you continue to ask. But folks, please just ask. Now, let me tell you what he doesn't say here. He doesn't give a timetable as to when he'll answer. He didn't say, just ask, and I'll, I'll, I'll be right on it. But he says, ask. He doesn't promise how he's going to answer. He doesn't promise that he's going to give you exactly what you ask for. He will respond, though, and you will receive something. He doesn't say when, how he's going to do it, what he's going to give you, but he does promise to answer he will answer your prayer. Now, I'll tell you, move ahead to next week. Randy's going to speak next week about the fact that sometimes it feels like God is silent and he's not answering our prayers. It feels like God's on airplane mode. What do we do then? You need to be come back next week and Randy will work through that with you. But for this week, we just want to remember this promise. He said, whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And whoever knocks will see a door open. What kind of prayer? Just to be sure you get this. What kind of prayer does God respond to? Ongoing prayer. Patient prayer. Relentless prayer. Bold prayer. Shamelessly, persistently audacious prayer. J.D. Greer in his book, he interprets Jesus' lesson on prayer like this. Here's how he summarizes that parable. And that's so ask, not see. He says, do this. Be bold enough to bother him. Be bold enough to bother him. 
Spoiler alert, you're not going to bother God with your prayer. It's you that needs to understand that it's okay if it feels like it is bothering God. It's okay. He's the one who said shameless audacity when it comes to prayer. In his parable, to emphasize the basic starting point for prayer, Jesus exposes the secret none of us want to admit about our prayer lives. Do you know what that secret is? Most of us don't have one. We don't have a prayer life. Now, that's, a, that's a Christian churchy phrase. Our prayer life. Most of us don't pray. When we pray, it's just a little bit. We don't pray that much. We don't pray consistently. Make, survey people, they say they do. They also say they go to church all the time, and we know that's not true either. Jesus is telling us we don't pray. So he's saying just start with the basics. Just ask. We don't pray because if we did, we'd see a lot more prayers answered. We would. Let me just ask you, just to prove this point, what's the last thing you prayed and prayed and prayed about? Every day, maybe multiple times a day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, maybe even decade after decade. What is it? Is there anything there? When I was about 21, 22 years old, one of my good friends I was growing up with, that I'd grown up with, his dad just dropped dead of a heart attack. And I knew his dad was an atheist. And it, it just terrified me because I thought, he's gone straight to hell. And that's where my friend will go if he doesn't come to know Jesus. My friend is still an atheist. And I've still been praying for him 40 plus years. You do not have because you do not ask. Just ask. I hope that before I pass away someday, that I'll see my friend Dean come to faith in Jesus. And if I don't see him before I pass, that he'll live long enough after me to then step over the line of faith and I'll see him in heaven. I'm asking. Most of us never pray that hard. We just, we, we just don't. Now, if you do, if you are the kind of person who does that, I got a word for you here. Let this parable that Jesus told reassure you that you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. Don't give up. Keep it up. It's okay. Be shamelessly, audaciously bold in your prayers. But if you don't, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, that's true. I, 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 don't, I really don't pray that much. Ask yourself why. Why don't you pray that much? Let's, let's drill down here. Let's go a little bit deeper and, and see why not. I think there's any number of reasons we don't ask. I think in, in this world that we have that gets faster and faster and we get more conveniences. We have to wait less time for everything that we need. We're so used to convenience that when we don't get what we ask for, we just kind of move on and forget about it. We keep going and we forget that we ever ask about that. I think that explains for some of us why we don't pray very often. Others, you don't pray because, be honest with yourself, you don't think it'll do any good. You tell yourself, God doesn't really care. This is, this is mine. He doesn't care about me. He's got plenty on his mind, and he just doesn't care that much about me. I think most of us don't pray because we just don't realize how powerful prayer can be, how much God is willing to do if we'll just ask. Maybe you're a cynic. Maybe you're a cynic. Maybe you believe there's a God, but you're such a cynic, you, you would just assume God is toying with us, asking us to keep praying about something just to watch us fail and watch us be frustrated. 
And folks, if that's you, and I think there were people in Jesus' audience that day, maybe even some of his disciples, who felt that way. And I think that's why Jesus finished his, his model prayer that he then gave a parable to explain how, and then to make sure you got the point, he said, just ask. And then he said, one more thing after that, probably to answer the cynic. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, let me just explain that. Jesus used hyperbole. That means he exaggerated sometimes in his stories, like three loaves of bread. And he also said, you're evil. He's, he's talking comparatively. Compared to God, we are evil. No comparison there. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God isn't toying with us when he urges us to keep asking. He gives this example of a parent loving a child. He loves us like a parent loves her child. Parents want to give good gifts to their children. If you're a parent, you do. You know that. You want to give even better gifts to your grandchildren. You're not worried about spoiling them. That's the parent's problem. One mark of healthy parenting is teaching your children how to ask the right questions. That, that's just basic of parenting. And when our kids ask for useless or ridiculous gifts, we try to guide them to ask for a little bit better kinds of gifts. We try to guide them to ask for the things that they need that will help them or things that we know they will enjoy more than maybe what they're asking for will last longer. We steer them towards asking for better things. How many of you just did that at Christmas? Your child or children started asking for one thing and you knew you were gonna get them something else. You knew you wanted to get them something else that this would be better for them anyway. Might be better for your pocketbook too. And you just kept steering them to where you had them by Christmas time asking for what they ended up receiving. That's what God will do for us as we ask, as we ask. He'll help us. So what does God give us when we learn just to ask? I mean, the way that this, that this little passage ended was kind of different. It's like, boom, he took a, off in a different direction. He said, how much more will your Father in heaven give you what you asked for? That's not what he said. He said, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to ask for him? So what does he give us when we just learn to ask? His Holy Spirit. His presence. Now, theologically, again, this is like basic prayer 101. And this is before the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit was given and he began to indwell all of us who are followers of him after Jesus' resurrection and after the day of Pentecost. So we know that the Bible teaches clearly that the Holy Spirit indwells us when we become a Christ follower. And what Jesus is talking about here, he's, he's being very basic and clear. Jesus is saying, when you pray, I'm there to answer. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's Jesus, it's God. He, said, he says, I'm there to answer you, to open the door, to give you what you need. But you need to... Ask, just ask. We're going to talk a lot about prayer this year. And at the end of this month, I'm going to call us to ask and pray about some big things in 2024. I'm going to ask for us to pray for some big things to ask about. 
I was careful not to quickly say big asks. We're going we're to have some big asks. So we're going to pray for It's just words, okay? Let's get started. I purposely put the pastoral prayer at the end today. Let's pray. God, we have some big things to ask for this year. And I just pray that you'd help all of us to be focused on that. That we would think bigger than we thought before. We would think longer and deeper. And that we would pray more than ever before for the same things over and over again. God, this year, I pray that more than ever before, you would bring to salvation the people that we love, that we know don't know you. I ask that you would put a fire in each of our hearts to share with them, to invite them to church, invite them to small group, invite them to some event, invite them to retreat. God, help us get so focused on sharing the good news with people who haven't heard it or haven't responded to it. God, I pray that we would become so focused on you and so grateful for what you've done for us already that we would look for ways to serve you and that when our leaders need more people to serve in this place or that, that they'd have to start a waiting list. God, help us to, to really want to serve in your kingdom, whether it's in here or outside the walls. God, I pray that you would take care of our financial situation. That, Lord, that, that you, would, you would help us to be such a generous church that, that people that interact with us would receive overflows that you give us. That our church would have all that we need to do to do the ministries you've called us to do without having to talk about it over and over again. But God, help us to pray about it over and over again. God, help us to be so focused on you that our lives will be so much into caring about your kingdom come, your will be done, that people could forget the name of this church, but just know that the people they see are so close to you that they just draw them to you. It wouldn't be about any one church in our community, but it'd be about your kingdom. God, help us to help those people who are struggling with mental health. Help us to come alongside them and show them that, man, we're there. We're gonna be with them however long it takes to help them move into the light of your love. God, help us to comfort those who mourn. Help us to encourage kids to grow up knowing and loving you. God, I pray that Maybe the most exciting place to be on this church campus won't be this room, but be the other side of the building where kids are growing up realizing how much you love them because they just see it in the people who volunteer to help them and love them. And God, I pray that you'd help us to worship you like never before. Worship you with our lives, our, our, our gifts, our finances, our time, our energy and our songs, our music. And God, help us to be every day 
followers of you, not just on the weekend. I ask that in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen.